After a little bit of a hiatus, the Fantasy Fallout podcast is back. And this week, we will be going over our running back rankings. We'll be catching up on all of the news that has happened throughout the NFL, what you need to know about it, in addition to answering a couple of viewer questions that we've gotten, as well as telling you what running backs you should be drafting, who you should be avoiding, and the strategy that you can use to win your fantasy football league. All that and more on this week's episode. Welcome back, everybody, to the Fantasy Fallout Podcast. Today is July 23rd. It's been a couple weeks since we've recorded our last quarterback episode. Uh, There was some stuff going on. I had to get set up my new computer, set up my office, everything's like that. But we are back and better than ever. And let's just start out by saying uh, the quarterback episode was by far our most popular one. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some buzz around the podcast right now. I'd love to see it. Absolutely. Uh, Big episode today. A lot of news. A couple requests from people that have watched the podcast for our opinions on stuff. And then we'll get into our running back rankings. But kicking off, let's get into the news. Uh, There's a couple really big pieces here. A couple smaller ones um let's get the news with all the tight ends out of the way first three things mike jacecki his contract talks are slowing down belton schultz still doesn't have a contract yet and kyle rudolph uh former viking and new york giant has signed a one-year deal with a box so for me this says a couple things uh for mike jacecki did we really expect him to sign back with the Dolphins? I didn't at the end of the season, and I thought he would hit free agency. Uh, any thoughts on that? What do we make of Mike Jacecki's value here? Yeah, yeah, no, I kind of feel bad for Mike Jacecki. Um, yeah, he's the kind of player who had a big role last year and make bring Tyree Kill in, you know, which will you know, almost certainly make his role smaller. And uh, that's his contract year where he's probably going to, you know, be a little worse slot than when he was, you know, last year. So I uh, feel bad for him. Probably going to walk. Um, I'm not so sure that the type of tight end that he is is going to be valued so much um, by their new coach over there. Um, so don't feel great for Mike Isecki. Have not been drafting him anywhere this year. Um, but I think he could be a fun piece. For another team next year, I mean, if Evan Engram got $10 million, then Mike Kiseki should get, you know, 30. So we'll see what happens. That would certainly be something that would inflate the tight end market to the <laughs> to the rate the quarterbacks are going up. We're going to talk about the big quarterback contract that happened a couple of days ago in a minute. Uh, Dalton Schultz, no contract. Um, I don't really like Dalton Schultz unless he's on the Cowboys. And I think on Dallas, he'll be used primarily as a pass catcher. I think on another team, he may be asked to do a little bit more in the blocking game. So I'm not thrilled with a non-Cowboys Dalton Schultz, like for Dynasty. But if he goes to a team that could utilize a pass catching tight end, maybe the Chargers, if he doesn't resign, that could be interesting. Uh, we'll see on that one, though. Uh, are you concerned about Dalton Schultz? potentially getting on the franchise tag rather than the long-term contract here? 
Um, I, I have always thought that Dalton Schultz was um, almost exclusively the product of his situation in Dallas. So I agree with you. He needs to be on Dallas to be valuable. I mean, for redraft, obviously, you know, he'll be on Dallas this year. He'll be fine. Um, could he be even more than fine, potentially? Um, but for Dynasty, you know, there are certainly more talented tight ends in worse situations that I'd rather have than Dalton Schultz. And then Kyle Rudolph signing one-year deal with the Bucks to become Brady's new top tight end. I think this just signifies that Cade Otten is not ready and kind of confirms what everybody's been saying. Uh, Cameron Rate is not good enough. Uh, I think I think it, it's more the first thing. You know, I, I don't think that there's really that big of a difference between Kyle Rudolph and Cameron Brate, um, especially, you know, when Cameron Brate has experience in the system um, and Kyle Rudolph doesn't. Um, so I think it's kind of just like an insurance move. You know, Kate Otten's not ready to be a tight end too as a rookie. So you bring in Kyle Rudolph. He's been a, a backup tight end in the past. Um, and, you know, maybe by the end of the year, he should be pushing for the starter role there, but... I still think it's Kevin Bright's job to lose. Do you think Gronk comes back now with this signing? Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, just, I still believe that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's certainly not a positive indicator for that, but I don't think, you know, signing Kyle Rudolph to what's probably a mostly non-guaranteed deal um, is really too much of a factor in a star player coming back like Gronk. Yeah, for me, it kind of indicates that Gronk is not coming back, at least this year. Uh, big news, uh, Nikhil Harry to the Bears for a seventh. Big, 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 big. 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 Watch out, Darnell Mooney. You know, they bring in somebody who had more draft capital used on them than you. Better watch out. Nikhil Harry is now worth a first and a seventh round pick for those at home. That's how you track that. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, you know, it's going to be big for him there. Uh, I, I, he was very fun in college, that's for sure. You know, maybe he just needs this to motivate him. Maybe it was just a question of motivation. I don't know. Um, but he's, you know, competing with Byron Pringle over there for the uh, wide receiver two job and Bellis Jones, the rookie. He definitely has a chance at that, right, Jay? Yeah, I think. Uh, as much as we want to make fun of this, uh, I, I think it could be a realistic outcome that Nikhil Harry is Justin Fields' third target on the Bears. Now, sure. the third target on the Bears is not valuable at all to me. Like, so, I think you have to move Nikhil Harry into your top 120 wide receivers after this move. How many wide receivers did I rank? Is, is <laughs> he may already be there? Uh, just checking real quick. I've ranked 154 wide receivers, and Nikhil Harry is. Let's take a look. Is this before or after the trade? This ranking? Uh, I did not change his statistics at all. I do not okay. think it's going to make much of a difference. I uh, cannot find Nikhil Harry. Yeah, so not in your top 150. Uh, but yeah, I think he's, he's, not, top, no, he's he not a wide receiver 10, you know, <laughs> that we have to stop talking about him right now. Nikhil Harry is on my rankings. Uh, where he is, is 
lower than Valus Jones. Uh, so I still have Byron Pringle as the two. I, I I think this is a complete not factor. I'm shocked Bill Belichick got a seventh rounder for him. Moving on, <laughs> uh, do we really want to waste any more time on the kill, Harry? I I don't think we do. Uh, Moving on, actual big news. Uh, So it came out of Ravens training camp that J.K. Dobbins actually tore his meniscus and his LCL in addition to his ACL last year. Uh, He refuted reports saying that he was going to be out week one but then two days later, him and Gus Edwards were both put on the pop. Um, for me, at this point, I'm out on J.K. Dobbins. I'm out. O-U-T-L. I think of the two, I'd rather have Gus Edwards, who had that clean tear on his ACL. He's probably going to recover quicker. Likely see the first chance to really get involved again in the offense. And let's face it, Lamar doesn't really have anyone to throw to outside of Mark Andrews and maybe Rashad Bateman. So they're going to be running a lot. I, I, I'm i so concerned that J.K. Dobbins comes back. Right now, J.K. Dobbins is going towards the beginning of the third round. Uh, that, to me, screams bust. It's a concerning yep. situation, and I'm out. You know, we'll get more into to JK um, in the running back rankings, I'm sure. Uh, currently, I'm just checking his uh, PPR scoring running back average draft position. He's going as the running back 21 off the board right after Josh Jacobs, right before Bruce Hall. Um, I'd rather I think, have both Josh Jacobs and Bruce Hall over JK. And I, um, you know, I'll talk about this more later, but I think, I still think even with injury concerns that have been muted by J.K. himself, uh, who said that he'll definitely be ready for week one, uh, contrary to other reports. Um, I still think that the running back one, you know, clear most talented running back on the team that people expect to run the most in the entire NFL, uh, I think that's a player with enough upside to be worth drafting, uh, you know, running back 21 off the board for sure. Right. And we'll talk a little bit more about him later, but I'm relatively low on JK and I'm concerned about the injury news. Uh, Michael Thomas is also on the pup. Um, that's another situation where I'm completely out. I'm out on Michael Thomas at this point. Uh, what is, we don't even know if he's going to be back week one. He's been out nearly two years. I'd much rather take a shot on the eighth or the ninth round on Chris Olave who has a very clear path to be the number one guy in the New Orleans Saints offense for targets than like a six on Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, interestingly, is going around the same time as Amon Ross St. Brown, Elijah Moore, DeAndre Hopkins, those types of players. And I'd rather have all three of them over Michael Thomas, especially given what has gone on with Michael Thomas the past couple of years. Um, do you are you what do we make of this are you out on michael thomas as well are are you concerned that he's on the pop i mean this injury it it was in was it i believe it was an ankle injury uh, at the end of drew Brees' final season two years ago and he hasn't recovered from it since 
Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely more worried about Michael Thomas than I am J.K. Dobbins. And I'm also less inclined to draft him. Um, you know, I loved a lot of those names that you mentioned around him. I like them more than Michael Thomas. Uh, potentially, even if Michael Thomas, you know, says he's ready to go for week one. But right now, we don't even have that guarantee. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not out on Michael Thomas. You know, if he comes and they, if the Saints say he's going to play week one, um, and he's certainly intriguing, you know, and it's worth debating against guys like Amon Ross St. Brown. But right now, you know, I, I think you, you can just take other guys like Amon Ra or DeAndre Hopkins, who still have, you know, top 12 upside, just like Michael Thomas does, but with less uncertainty. You know, even though Tom, Hopkins is going to be suspended, you already know about that and you can bake that into your, you know, that's why you're getting him for so cheap in the first place. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, not out on Michael Thomas, but I probably won't be drafting him anywhere close to that range until we hear about him playing week one. Yeah, and if you remember on our live draft last year, we took the shot on Michael Thomas in the same place, in the sixth round. It's yeah. a year later, he's still hurt, and he's going in the same position. I think we're both out here. Yeah, I think right now he's got to be like compared to guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard, Shakobi Myers. I'd still like, take like all three area. of those guys. I'd still yeah. take all three of those guys over Randall Thomas. Well, yeah, I think he's more like the, uh, you know, take a long shot and pray sort of situation. Like those guys rather than the uh, people like Amon Ra, who if they don't hit, they're still a wide receiver three or a high, high wide receiver four. And then if they do hit, they can be much higher. I think Thomas's floor is pretty clearly lower than that at the moment. Yeah, and, and I don't appreciate your use of Amon Ra as that example. You know that when we rank our wide receivers, you're going to see just how high I am on Amon Ra. I may be the <laughs> single highest person who does any sort of fantasy football analysis on Amon Ra. I'm absolutely in love with him. I have – I've while doing the running back rankings, I've already prepared my arguments and justifications for why I have Amon Ra where I have him. And I'm, I'm excited for that. But anyways, uh, Sean, he's going to sue the league if he's suspended a year. There's still no news on this suspension. We thought we were going to get this news a couple weeks ago. Um, at this point, I'm not sure he gets suspended for more than six games. Uh, yes, yeah, it seems like the sentiment has definitely gone towards a lower number of games Maybe the NFL trying to avoid a lawsuit is also a factor, you know, in, in that course sort of suspension. Because uh, Deshaun Watson did say he's going to sue the league in federal court, um, which is certainly a big deal. The NFL doesn't want that. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I think it means that if Deshaun Watson is on your board in the last round of the draft, uh, at this point, it'd probably be silly not to draft him. Unless, yeah. you know, there are moral reasons where you don't want to draft him, that's fine. But uh, just from a pure fantasy perspective, we're talking about, you know, quarterback one upside in the last round. And if he's suspended for eight games, you can just drop him and pick up whoever else you would have taken in the last round. So uh, kind of irresponsible to let him go undrafted. Yeah. From a moral standpoint, it's completely understandable why you wouldn't draft Deshaun. I'm personally staying away from Deshaun. But from a fantasy perspective, if you take Trey Lance like round nine and Deshaun Watson like your final round of your league, 
if he's suspended six games, there's that's phenomenal from a fantasy football perspective. Uh, final piece of news before we get into the next segment. Uh, Kyler Murray got a quarterback contract. Did you see? Yeah. Sheesh. Five good. years. Good for him. $230 million and $160 million guaranteed. Good for Kyler Murray. I, I guess my question is, and this I don't know what your thoughts are on the quarterback market. I think it's getting a little inflated, but that's just how it's going to go. My question for you, though, is Kyler Murray a top 10 quarterback? I can definitively say that Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers are all better than Kyler. You can probably place Matthew Stafford above Kyler. Uh, then we get to the Lamar, we get a Kyler, we get to Dak, Russell Wilson's better than them. So Kyler, Kyler's around that range, but where do you put him, not a fantasy football perspective, just in general? Because for me, I have, I do have 10 quarterbacks that are probably ahead of Kyler. Yeah, you know, I think he's probably right around 10. I'm looking at my quarterback rankings. For fantasy, I have him up there. I have him at quarterback five. All the names you mentioned in that first group, I would agree, are better than Kyler. Um, you had mentioned six or seven names there. Um, I think Stafford I like Stafford. and Russell Wilson are probably better than Kyler, too. So that's seven, eight. And then we I have... Think, yeah, I think he's right right, right behind those two. Uh, but I think I like I think I like him more than Dak and Lamar at this point. I just think it's like more realistic for him to be the reason why your team wins a Super Bowl than it is for Dak or Lamar. Like I think he needs a little bit less help. Um, I think the the Cardinals kind of had to do this. Um, you know, it, it's kind of become clear that if your quarterback isn't, you know, at least as good as Stafford. It's going to be hard to win a Super Bowl. You know, Jimmy G just got to the Super Bowl, um, but I feel like Stafford might be the floor for winning one. Um, and that team has a bunch of older pieces on defense, so they really needed – they couldn't afford to let him walk and then be bad and then get a new quarterback. You know, by then the defense would be done. Uh, so I think they did what they had to do. They kept their borderline superstar quarterback happy, um, and hopefully – for him, you know, with Marquise Brown and DeAndre Hopkins for the back half of the year, potentially the best wide receiver duo in the NFL, he can uh, be unleashed and, you know, not have that same second half drop off that we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, that's the only thing that concerns me. They keep dropping off in the second half. And I agree, the Cardinals have to do this. Uh, uh, we're talking about Kyler. He may be right outside the top 10 quarterback, but he's still an above average quarterback. And that's just the price you have to pay. Now, uh, the one thing I will say is I don't think Stafford is the floor. I I've made my thoughts on Matthew Stafford, his whole career situation quite clear. I think he was quite frankly, the only reason the Lions weren't going 0-16 and 0-17 every year. He massively proved that last year, and he really showed just how poor that organization was run. Now, we've also talked about the Lions at length. We like what they're doing now, but 
still, it, it goes to show you can have a top 10 quarterback like the Lions had and still be perpetually either a wild card team or less. So I don't, it's going to be interesting to see after the new collective bargaining agreement and after the new TV contracts and distribution contracts, how much of this is actually like a lot, an overpay. But I do think it is maybe a slight overpay, but it's a necessary overpay. And it's something the Cardinals need to do. And I'm sure both parties are very happy at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, they um, didn't have to give him 10 years. Um, so that's something that's good for the Cardinals. Um, if he's bad, you know, if he's bad this year, he would still be the guy next year for Arizona. Um, that's two out of the five years of the deal. So, uh, you know, if they do want to get off the trade or get off the contract at some point, I think they will be a taker with just the final three years of Kyler Murray. Uh, but, you know, hopefully they don't even have to do that. So I, I think they should be very happy that they didn't flub this one up. Yeah, considering all the things that were going on earlier in the offseason, this is probably the best-case scenario ending for both parties. Uh, Getting into the next segment, we have viewer requests. So for future viewer requests, uh, you can either message Brandon or I, if you know us personally, or you can email the podcast at ffallout2022 at gmail.com. Uh, we, we're going to look to try and implement this as often as we can. Uh, I, I love the engagement and, uh, we have a couple of these. So, uh, the first one was a request to rank these QB wide receiver duos. We have Tua and Jalen Waddle, Carson Wentz and Terry McLaurin, Locke and DJ, DJ Metcalf, Baker Mayfield and DJ Moore. And for me, this is obviously what this viewer was going for was really good wide receivers, average to below average quarterbacks. What would you, where would you place these guys? I'll withhold my rankings because I want to hear yours and your justifications first, Brandon. So I'll let you go ahead there. Sure, 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 sure. So I think... Um, my number one here is going to be Baker Mayfield and DJ Moore. I think DJ Moore has the highest floor of all of these wide receivers. Um, like, you know, DK Metcalf, you're not sure what he's going to be like without one of the most accurate deep ball passes of all time. Terry McLaurin, you know, pretty solid floor, but he's questionably getting an upgrade over Taylor Heineke. I think that's more questionable than the media is giving credit for. Um, and then he is also now being joined um, by with a team that has a much worse offensive line than they've had a year ago. So the deep ball targets may not be there for Terry as much. Um, and Jahan Dotson's coming in and has been tearing up camp. Curtis Samuel's going to be back healthy. There's definitely more competition for Terry as well. Um, so, you know, I like him, but definitely more question marks than there are for DJ Moore and Jalen Waddle, uh, similar thing. I think he's about as talented as DJ Moore, maybe even a little bit more talented, um, but there's competition from tight end. There's competition from wide receiver one. There's competition from two great running backs and a coach that has a history of running the ball. Uh, so I think DJ Moore is just the safest wide receiver. And then all these quarterbacks are not ones that I would want as my only quarterback for fantasy. 
Um, but I don't think that Baker Mayfield's um, upside is any lower than any of these guys. You know, he's had a fringe quarterback one year in the past, um, and all of their floors are pretty low. Uh, so just feels like the safest duo with Mayfield and Moore, and you're not giving up any upside. I'd put two on Waddle next, then Wentz and McLaurin, and then Drew Locke, worst quarterback by far, uh, worst system, and DK Metcalf. You know, just huge question marks without Russell Wilson, biggest quarterback downgrade. Yeah, so I actually agree with your rankings for the most part, except I would... I, I I agree with your justifications. Maybe maybe I don't necessarily agree with where you have these guys placed, but really what this is is you have four eh, quarterbacks and four really good wide receivers. I actually have two on Waddle last, and the reason why you had mentioned Tyree kills the number one wide receiver there, and I think it's going to cut into Waddle a little bit. Uh, and then Tua, I guess, is the most. Uh, He's the he has the most range of outcomes for me because we don't know 100% what Tua is yet. Uh, for all we know, uh, he was being held back by Flores and his coaching staff uh, with the new offensive system getting put in Miami. Maybe Tua hits that next level. Um, but for me, they're the most ambiguous, and so I'm I'm going to put them last. Uh, then Locke and Metcalf. Locke is by far the worst of these quarterbacks. Uh, but I am a believer in Metcalf. Uh, and I think even with Drew Locke or Geno Smith throwing the football to him, he will still have a very productive high-level season, both in the NFL and for fantasy. And we saw that a little bit last year when Russell Wilson was hurt. The, the quarterbacks almost exclusively relied on Metcalf and Lockett. So I expect something similar there. Uh, Mayfield and Moore are interesting. Uh, there is a narrative around Baker that he's a bad quarterback. I don't necessarily believe that. I do think it was a very bad decision for Baker to play hurt last year. He should have just sat out the year. But then again, I think if he did that, he'd still be a Cleveland Brown. But So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if Baker gets back to his rookie level season, they would be the best duo. But for me, I'm going to pick Wentz and McLaurin as my top duo because of two things. One, McLaurin is very, very good. And so are all of these wide receivers. But McLaurin has also been good with no names thrown to him. Uh, whereas Moore at least had Teddy Bridgewater throw to him, who has been serviceable. Metcalf has had Russell Wilson throw to him. And I suppose Waddle has only had Tua throw to him, but those two have had a rapport before. Uh, the big reason why I'm putting them at one, though, is Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is not a bad quarterback by any stretch of the mean. He only threw seven interceptions last year. Brandon, if I could definitively say one thing about Carson Wentz. It's that I can tell you the number of interceptions he's going to throw in a year. Uh, do you want to guess what the number is? What's the number, Chief? It's seven. Except for his rookie season and the 2020 season that we don't talk about, 
Carson Wentz has only thrown seven interceptions a year. He's not some sort of turnover prone machine in this traditional sense. He'll turn the ball over when you absolutely do not want him to, but he won't do it a lot. And of all these quarterbacks, we've seen Carson Wentz played an MVP level. And I, on the Colts, he was effective. He won, he, he won nine games. Now they should have won the division and they lost the games that they needed to win, but he still won nine games. He's had a better record than all these other quarterbacks. So for me, that's why those two are number one. I could very easily see though, a path where Mayfield and Moore are the number one. Yeah. Yeah. I I just, I just don't think there are very many good reasons for McLaurin over Moore. Um, And like on just a neutral basis. And then the fact that you're getting, more competition from McLaurin uh, definitely concerns me. And then as for, for your Wentz comments, um, seven interceptions, you know, sounds good in 17 games. Um, but he did that with the best running game in the NFL by far. Um, and, you know, the best offensive line in the NFL, or one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, I should say. Um, and we saw that when he was in Philadelphia, uh, when he had a good offensive line, he was an MVP level quarterback. That was disproven last year when he had a good offensive line for the Colts. Um, and we had a bad offensive line in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, he had some gutsy performances, but certainly not uh, anything that was good for fantasy or good for wide receivers. Um, and now that that Redskins or that commander's offensive line is not great, and they lost Brandon Sheriff, um, who is great. So, Definitely concerned about Wentz. Um, and there, there's a reason I have that ranked after Tua and after Baker, um, even though both of those quarterbacks have never played to the level that Wentz played at uh, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think of all of these quarterbacks, Wentz has the highest ceiling, but also the lowest. No, actually, Drew Locke has the lowest floor. But Wentz's floor is very, it's just barely above Drew Locke's. Uh, Next question, uh, we have a viewer that does four-point quarterback passing touchdown leagues and six-point passing touchdown leagues. Do we rank? Do you rank your quarterbacks any differently here? Because when I went ahead and did it, I did not. I didn't really see a difference between four-point touchdowns and six-point touchdowns for quarterbacks. And I suppose the only thing that would actually be affected is where you're drafting the quarterbacks. I say you would draft them maybe a little bit earlier, but for me, that's not that big of a difference. Yeah, it's not a huge difference. I think it might, um, I mean, in theory, you know, it would hurt the guys who run just a little bit um, and help the, you know, more pure passers. Maybe your Staffords and your car cousins group of guys, maybe they get a little bit of a boost. Um, but I we're did, talking. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking. Very if they thirty some touchdowns, and you're getting two extra points. That's sixty more points. Um, sixty more points over seventeen weeks. You're getting them two and a half points a week. Um, so yeah, for me, I mean, two and a half points is enough to take Tannehill up to uh, Trey Lance ish, just a little bit below Trey Lance. Um, well, you have to also account for the fact that Trey Lance gets that six-point boost as right, well. Right, right. Of course, of course. So it's, you know, it's really like a, a, maybe he narrows the gap by a point. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a huge difference. Um, I think it might make me want to wait on quarterback a little bit more um, just because you can definitely find passing touchdown volume later. And you can also find passing touchdown volume streaming um, more easily than rushing yards. Um, yep. I, but, I agree. So, you know, maybe instead of taking um, Stafford or maybe instead of taking Trey Lance in the ninth, I decide to stream quarterback and take one in the last round. Uh, but I don't think it really affects the top guys very much at all. It did. The only person it really kind of bumped up more than one or two spots, I think for me, was Tom Brady. Yeah. Uh, because Tom is just so good and he throws all the touchdowns but runs for none of them. Uh, but yeah, for me, it really pushes me towards maybe drafting a Kirk Cousins late. And I think it gives me a little more flexibility when drafting my running backs and my wide receivers, but it's not a huge difference. Uh, final two viewer requests. Uh, this one should be really easy. Uh, I, this, the person that submitted this said it was an obligatory question to ask uh, Ezekiel Elliott or Miles Sanders. Yes, yeah, so one I word. Uh, no, no, well, I don't want to talk about it a little bit. I was looking at my rankings right before when I saw this question, and, and I have Zeke one spot ahead of Miles Sanders. I'm definitely down on Zeke this year compared to most. Uh, I think it's finally the year that they realize Tony's the guy. Um, but still, I think even even with you know any concerns you have about how good Zeke actually is, um, he has much less competition uh, in Dallas than Miles Sanders does. Um, so he's kind of just the way to go. They're going to score a lot of touchdowns. Zeke will still score a lot of touchdowns. And he'll probably be more involved in the passing game without Amari Cooper there. Yeah, um, uh, this isn't really uh, much of a question for me. For me, it's Zeke. Uh, he, to me, he's clearly the better back. Uh, and we'll get into it uh, during the running back ranking. I actually have a bunch of running back statistics for these top guys and Tony Pollard. So when we get into that, I'm going to justify why I have Zeke where I have him. Uh, and quite honestly, why I'm a little bit more down on Tony Pollard than a lot of people. But we can get into that in the running back rankings. Uh, final question uh, was just in general, and this is a nice transition. What are the running back camp battles or splits to watch? I've listed a few. I think the Seahawks, we've talked about them before, where it's like the the Bucks last year, where one guy's going to emerge and he's going to get all the touches because that's how the Seahawks operate. Uh, the Chiefs. Uh, there's been some more noise recently saying that, oh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is still the lead back. He's still the guy. But for me, you don't bring in a pure runner like Ronald Jones and you don't extend – a pass catching back like Jared McKinnon, if you don't intend on using them, or if you don't think that Clyde may not be the guy. So that one to me is really interesting. Buffalo. Uh, I think Buffalo is a little bit more like the Seahawks and like the Bucks, where James Cook or Devin Singletary will be the guy. Um, we saw last year when Devin Singletary got like 85% of the touches towards the final four weeks of the season. He was the running back two overall. So another situation where if one guy emerges, 
they're going to be a top shelf running back. Now, they're not going to get running touchdowns because that's Josh Allen's job. But Josh Allen gives them like six targets a game and they get like 13 to 14 carries. That's really good production. So watch for there. Uh, the Falcons. Uh, Cordell Patterson is in his 30s. Uh, really, this is coming down to can Tyler Algier surpass Cordero? Uh, the Texans, this is a bunch of – do you want to talk on the Texans here? Because for me, it's not so much camp battle, but I think for you it might be a, a little bit more of a battle because you still believe in Marlon Mack. Yeah, yeah, Mack versus Pierce. Um, and I think they're probably just going to wind up settling into some sort of split backfield there, but um, two, two guys of similar quality um, competing for – not so bad, which is, isn't really that important for fantasy outside of like, I don't know, the 10th round of your drafts. Um, and then Jake put down Washington here, um, Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick have been there for a while battling. And then we have Brian Robinson added into the mix. And McKissick is clearly the best passer. Robinson is probably the best goal linebacker. So it leaves you wondering what kind of role is going to be left for Gibson. Um, but that's an interesting battle to watch. Gibson is definitely the best overall talent there. So we'll see. Uh, Jets, Michael Carter versus Brees Hall. Um, quite an interesting duo. Uh, not Michael Carter is not very established. Um, and Brees Hall has draft pedigree, but we'll see how that one unfolds. because uh, Michael Carter was certainly productive last year. Do you think Ty Chandler takes any of the passing work? In the Jets, because nah, he was the passing back. Yeah, I don't think so. I think you know, Brees Hall and Michael Carter will get that. Um, they're more talented than than Ty Chandler. Uh, the Dolphins are a really fun one. Maybe my favorite one with Mostert, Edmonds, and Sony Michelle. Um, you know, if you asked everybody to rank those three players just based on pure talent, I think you'd get every possible combination of rankings there. Um, but I think that two of them are actually very talented. And then lastly, the Patriots. Uh, lots of people are talking about what's going on with Damian Harris. He could even get a cut. And he's also super good. He had like 16 touchdowns last year. Rondre Stevenson, everybody wants him to be a lead back, um, but he was just, you know, a third round pick. And they also took uh, Pierre Strong in the fourth round this year, who people seem to really like. Um, he could compete with Ramondre. He could compete with Damian or both. Um, so we'll see what's going on in New England during camp, but we're probably not going to learn too much about that one. So there's lots of uncertainty going forward. Uh, and let me apologize. I do not believe it. Was it Ty Chandler last year? Uh, he was on the, on the Jets. Sure. Yeah, I, I think if he uh, – I don't know if it was him or not. I know it was Ty Johnson. I I, I apologize. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, it was Ty Johnson, not Ty Chandler. Ty Chandler is on the uh, Vikings. The I do not have Ty Johnson ranked. Yeah, I, Ty um, Chandler is actually kind of, kind of interesting. He's pretty talented. He's very fast. Uh, I, I don't I know if we're going to talk about Ty Chandler though. Too. A graphic, uh, a Madden Madden speed ratings graphic where Ty Chandler was in the top ten. Wow. Yeah. So. You know, if Cook and Madison got hurt, we start looking at Ty Chandler. 
All right. Well, that was uh, viewer viewer questions. Uh, again, if you have any, email us at, at fallout2022 at gmail.com. Uh, now let's get into the running backs. So how I think we should do this is we should go, uh, because we have a lot of guys here. And uh, to effectively utilize this time, we have... We have both ranked 62 running backs. I ranked a little more. Uh, let's go over our top 50 running backs uh, for this season. Uh, let's utilize our PPR rankings and let's also uh, do them in groups of five. Because I think it, it, within each subsequent group of five, you'll have like a tier of running back or running backs just outside of the previous tier we can kind of talk about them collectively. Is that, what do you think about that? Sounds good to me. Yeah, we can try to cut off the tiers within the groups of five if, if there's a clear drop off. Right. So I've gotten several questions from people I've talked to before recording this episode uh, when they've heard my running back rankings uh, for our number one guy. And uh, real quick, one through five. So number one, both of us have Christian McCaffrey consensus. Then we get Jonathan Taylor right behind him. Najee Harris is our number three running back. Uh, Aaron Jones is our number four. And Austin Eckler is our number five for PPR. Couple of surprises on this list, Najee and Aaron Jones, but we'll talk about them in a second. But real quick, I keep getting this question. Why is Christian McCaffrey still your number one running back? Uh, he's been hurt for two years he's injury prone uh here's a question for you brandon and i don't know if you're looking at our notes right now who between the two these two running backs have played more games christian mccaffrey or dalvin cook just off the top of your head who do you think yeah i mean uh dalvin's been hurt you know plenty as well uh he missed his entire first season with the acl um I, it's probably pretty close Probably Dalvin, right? No. Actually, Christian McCaffrey's played two more games than Dalvin Cook. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's played 58 to Dalvin's 56. Uh, he started 52 to Dalvin's 55. And here's the kicker. Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook have a very similar workload. So Christian McCaffrey has gotten 781 rushes, and Dalvin's gotten 1,018. Now, where Christian makes up the touches is Christian has gotten 357 passing targets, and Dalvin Cook has gotten 182. So, in total, Dalvin Cook has had 1,200 touches in his career. Christian McCaffrey has had less. He's had 1,138. So, Dalvin Cook's actually being used more by the Vikings than Christian McCaffrey has by the Panthers. I just want to dispel the rumor that the Panthers are, are, are running Christian McCaffrey into the ground at a higher rate than some of these other running backs because Dalvin Cook's being utilized more and he's being utilized more in the running game where these touches are typically seen as less valuable and you're running into more people. There's a higher chance of injuring yourself. So that right there tells me this injury stuff for Christian McCaffrey is a little overblown because if Christian McCaffrey's injury prone, then you have to say Dalvin Cook is injury prone. 
Now, here's another question. Who do you think is younger, Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook? They're probably right around the same, no? They are both 26, but Christian McCaffrey is slightly younger. So for me, it, all that injury talk, all that, like he's getting older, it, it doesn't really do much for me. He's in the age where backs, pass catching backs, dual threat backs are in their prime, typically from 26 to 28. Christian McCaffrey, I'm not concerned about him at all. And that absurd amount of passing volume work, at least for PPR, and maybe for standard too, because he can put up yards through the air and the ground. They will utilize him in that role. I'm not concerned about Christian McCaffrey. Now, you have him as your number one too. Similar thoughts as me, or for a different reason? Um, yeah, no, I, yeah. every running back is capable of getting injured in any given year. McCaffrey was pretty durable until these past two years. And I think, you know, it's mostly just a coincidence that it happened back-to-back years. Like if he got hurt, you know, in year one and year four of his career, um, and those were the two years he was hurt, I don't think anybody would really be complaining so much. Um, But, you know, it's just, you can have him regress pretty significantly in, in terms of efficiency and in terms of usage. And he'll still grade out as the number one overall running back in the PPR scoring format. Um, And I'm not in the business of, you know, predicting injuries so much. Uh, Any of these players could get hurt at any moment. Um, So I'm going to take the guy who has the higher upside. And I think another little benefit of Christian McCaffrey this year, uh, he's clearly the best player on his team. Um, And Matt Rule is a lame duck coach on the last year of his contract. And if they don't win games, he's going to get fired, probably won't get another chance in the NFL. So he's going to use Christian McCaffrey, you know, like how uh, an NFL head coach might use a rookie running back who, uh, you know, they think is really fresh. So uh, I expect high usage and I expect the same old Christian McCaffrey. And even if he misses some games, you know, it'll clearly be worth it um, because he's that much better for fantasy than all these other guys. But I do yeah. think um, I would put the first two guys on our list in the same tier and then start the next tier after them. Really? You'd put, okay. So the next guy on our list is Jonathan Taylor. I think he's pretty self-explanatory. He was the number one back. He saw ridiculous usage last year. Colts are going to be run first again. He's the guy in the backfield. And if he, he he's basically 95% Christian McCaffrey. So if you get that, then you're more than satisfied with that at two, at least for PPR. Again, they're slightly different in standard. Jonathan Taylor's are one in standard. Christian McCaffrey's are two. and But for the most part, our PPR rankings and our standard rankings are pretty similar here. But you would put Najee Harris in the same tier. Najee Harris is our number three back. No, no, no. Now, I would put, I'd put Jonathan Taylor in the same tier as Christian McCaffrey, and then I would start the next tier. Uh, you right. know, for me, we started with with Aaron Jones, my running back three, but for the consensus uh, with Najee Harris. Right. So you're a little bit lower on Najee, particularly in standard than for PPR, but Najee is really interesting. He came out yesterday saying if he needed to get 500 touches for the Steelers to win, he'd be more than willing to do it. And he doesn't care. He's already talked to Mike Tomlin about increasing his workload. And, That, to me, just says the Steelers 
they're in a situation where they're not going to want to re-sign Deontay Johnson. Uh, they're going to want to utilize some of these younger guys more and get them integrated more within their offensive scheme. And that includes Najee. So I think Deontay Johnson is not going to get peppered as much with targets. Typically when the targets of a wide receiver will go down, you'll see that go to the running back. That for me all says Najee Harris is in for a huge year. Yeah, I definitely disagree a little on Najee. Um, Their offensive line is still quite bad. And I think losing Ben Roethlisberger um, is going to, you know, pretty significantly affect his passing work. Um, You know, for the same reason that Deontay Johnson got all of those short yardage targets. Well, Najee Harris, you know, was the best, the biggest beneficiary of those. Um, And Kenny Pickett has some legs. Um, If he's the starter, Mitch Trubisky definitely is mobile. Uh, might be more reluctant to check down than Big Ben. So I expect the passing work to go down. I expect the running efficiency to stay um, pretty bad uh, with that bad offensive line there. Uh, unless, you know, the passing game really opens things up. Um, but I don't really expect that to. So I think, you know, getting Najee is kind of, you're just drafting a ton of carries is what you're drafting. And cut a ton of carries from a talented player, but I don't think their system really does anything to benefit him. Um, and, and their roster, similarly, doesn't really do much for Najee. Um, so that's why I have him a little lower than some guys who I think might be getting or might be a little bit more efficient in better offenses with more touchdowns. Yeah. Uh... Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, the next two backs. Uh, Austin Eckler is relatively self-explanatory. He's going to see a lot of passing game usage. Uh, Just looking at his stats, uh, he started 37 games and he's seen 282 passing targets already. He's seen 607 rushing touchdowns. Rushing touches, not touchdowns. Uh, But I guess the only concern is you bring in – Guys from the draft like Isaiah Spiller, are they going to spell Austin Eckler a little more? I think they will. And to be honest, I don't know how much of a concern that actually is because Austin Eckler, I think, needs to get spelled a little bit because you can't utilize him how you utilized him last year on every single play because he's going to get hurt. Yeah, I think Um, Austin Eckler had like 90% of the running back catches and 50% of the running back carries for the Chargers last year. I, mean, I think he had honestly, pretty much all I, of the running back touchdowns too. Yeah, I think, I think I think he's um, you know kind of got. I don't, I don't think Isaiah Spiller is that good. I, I kind of like him for fantasy. I think it's a pretty good spot to be in as Austin Eckler's primary backup. But I don't think he's like a threat to Austin Eckler in any way from a talent perspective. Like not even that close. Um, so you know it, it's nice. It lucked out. Austin Eckler lucked out a little bit in that respect. Um, so even if Isaiah Spiller is coming into the game just to lighten the workload, you know, I don't think he's going to show anything that's going to make it be like, oh, well, maybe we'll you know lighten Austin's workload even more because Spiller's been really good. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, backtracking, our number four guy, uh, we both love him. Uh, you love him a little more. Uh, Aaron Jones is the other back in our top five before we get into kind of the next group here. Uh, why do we love Aaron Jones so much? Most people don't have him in their top 10. Yeah, I don't, I really don't understand it so much. That offense or that, that defense is going to be great. They're going to be ahead all the time. So they're going to be running the ball a lot. And they just lost 
you know, the best receiver in the NFL. And you said it a minute ago, when receivers leave, the targets go to running backs. Um, and the Packers didn't get a splashy wide receiver in free agency. They got a fringe guy like Watkins and a second rounder and Christian Watson and a couple other rookies. I mean, Aaron Jones could be on the field as a wide receiver while A.J. Dillon is in the backfield as the running back. Uh, I expect him to be doing great things in the passing game, high efficiency and lots of touchdowns for sure. Uh, so, you know, I, I want Aaron Jones this year. If I'm drafting at the end of the first round and Aaron Jones is there, I'm, I'm taking him. Yep. Yeah, typically uh, you'll find me in drafts, even if I have to overpay a little grabbing Aaron Jones, either very early in the second or towards the end of the first. I don't know why he's not ranked higher. Uh, all those things that we've said before, the Packers defense is going to be really good. Aaron Rodgers just lost his top target, who took, I think, 25% of the targets with him. I think so, 30, yeah. 30 even. So a lot of those are going to go to Aaron Jones. Uh, now, when we get to the Packers wide receivers, I think – Alan Lazar is going to be the wide receiver there. It's really a coin flip, though. But I know for a fact that Aaron Jones is going to see a lot more work. So it's a pretty self-explanatory placement for me. Uh, next five, kind of this next group, I think is a little interesting. Derrick Henry is at six. Saquon Barkley is at seven. That one, when I was doing our rankings, I was a little bit surprised about. But we both actually have Saquon in our top ten. You're really high on Saquon this year, though. So I'll kind of let you, when we talk about this tier, explain Saquon. Uh, Dalvin Cook uh, is number eight. He's pretty self-explanatory. We talked about him a little bit with CMC. He's just going to be good. Nick Chubb is number nine. Uh, I think it's suffice to say the Browns are going to run more this year. Is that a fair statement? Um, certainly if there's no Watson, but uh, they're going to score more touchdowns this year. That's for sure. Yeah. So either way, Nick Chubb's going to benefit. And the number 10, running at our top 10, is DeAndre Swift. Uh, we both really love what the Lions are doing. Um, we both think they're going to be a high-octane scoring offense. And DeAndre Swift could be Alvin Kamara light, where he sees a lot of the passing work for the running backs. So I wouldn't be surprised at all with this placement. I guess the only real controversial placement here is Saquon. So since you're so high on Saquon, before we get into the next group, I'll ask you, why do you have Saquon in your personal rankings as number four? Yeah, I have him at four. number 10. Um, so first off, when I think when you're talking about the talent of NFL running backs, um, I think Saquon Barkley, you know, could easily be ranked in the top five. I don't think very many people would dispute that if you put him up there. You know, if somebody went up to him on the street and said, Saquon's better than Joe Mixon or Saquon's better than... Uh, DeAndre Swift, like, you know, people are, most people are going to agree with you. Um, and for fantasy, you know, that's not the case. So a talent, I think he checks that box. He still has the passing game work and rushing work that we look for in top 10 guys, especially in top five guys that aren't Derrick Henry. Um, and then you just kind of have to look at the system around him. Well, he now has a great offensive coach who loves to pass the ball. Saquon, I want him catching the ball. Uh, you know, we saw when he was on the field the last couple of years where he was healthy, he gets a lot of zero yard runs and then he breaks off a big one. Um, and that is not, you know, a recipe for winning football too frequently. Um, so I want Saquon getting pass game work and then hopefully he can mix in a big one every once in a while in the passing game. Um, but I expect him to, you know, approach his career high in targets 
Um, with Brian Dabble, I expect him to eclipse his career high in touchdowns in what I hope is the best offense the Giants have had um, in a long time. So maybe ever, maybe ever, honestly, they haven't had very many good offenses. Um, so yeah, really, really interested in Saquon Barkley this year. Definitely has more upside than these other guys for me. Um, and I'm drafting upside. You know, I'm not trying to finish third in my league. I'm trying to win the league. Uh, so if you can get Saquon at the end of the first round, uh, no problem with that. But, you, you know, most places you're able to draft him a little bit later. Looking at his uh, average draft position, he's going at the end of the second round. Uh, so if you can start off your draft, McCaffrey, Saquon, that's ridiculous. That's amazing. Um, but even if you were taking, you know, if you were picking at the end of the first and started Aaron Jones, Saquon, I think that's a great start. Um, so, yeah, very, very excited for Saquon Barkley. Uh, believe in the talent, believe in the system. Um, you know, not too worried about the health, not too worried about competition. Uh, should be a great year for him. Right. I, I think if everything goes right, I, I agree with that. My only concern is the Giants have not been very good. They're still not going to be good, at least this year, and their line is not going to be great. I think it's better. But I do, I agree. do think it's better. I, I do think it is better. But I do yeah. agree Saquon needs to see more passing work. 100%. Yeah, you can't throw to Kenny Galladay. <laughs> I'll see if I can find it here. Yeah. So we have a, um, a chart from Pro Football Focus giving them credit here. Um, and it shows every team's offensive line ranking at the end of the 2021 season and then at the beginning of the 2022 season. And the Giants were 30th at the end of 2021. And now they are to 19th. Um, wow. so that's a pretty big bump. That's a pretty big bump. Um, and, you know, I feel like really for these running backs, you just don't want them to be in the bottom couple. Uh, you know, that's really where you, you see a total loss of efficiency. So Najee Harris on the Steelers, you know, Pro Football Focus has the Steelers as the new 30th ranked offensive line. So that, that is why I worry. Um, but I expect that a little bit of a boost. Or, or second right. uh, Real quick, uh, you mentioned grabbing two running backs within the first two rounds. Uh, let's take a real quick break here to talk from our running backs, the, the strategy behind drafting them. Uh, for me, running back is always the hardest position because you, unless fantasy football changes within the next decade to 15 years where you'll need to fill one running back spot, you're going to have to fill two. And then a possible flex, depending on the wide receivers that you have. So for me, I think you have to hit on three running backs. And there's only 32 teams. And depending on how many people are in your draft or in your league, the vast majority of the starting running backs are going to be taken. So for me, finding the right running back is paramount. And... My personal philosophy, I always take them with premium earlier picks. I'd rather not go through the dead zone, uh, rounds four through six, where I may be taking a shot on a guy like, uh, although like Antonio Gibson, for example, who has been average the past couple of years and will probably disappoint you if you're looking to start him as your RB1. Whereas wide receivers there, you're getting guys like Brandon Cooks, Amin Ra, maybe Mike Evans if he falls. You can get Michael Pittman, DK Metcalf. There's just so many more wide receivers in there. 
So for me, the strategy is you're either going to draft running back really, really early, or you're going to forego the position and build up your other ones. Uh, um, is there any sort of way where you can look at a middle ground or does it have to be this polarizing, Brandon? Yeah, I think I don't mind the hero RB. Um, I think that's what they call it these days where you take one running back early first round and then you wait and kind of forego the RB2 position, um, build up all your other positions and then you know draft guys like Chase Edmonds or Gus Edwards or... You can get Devin Singletary round eight. James Cook. Yeah, maybe take your second running back, you know, right around round eight or nine. And then you take a few more shots throughout the rest of your draft and kind of assume that you'll get somebody on the waiver wire when there's a big injury or somebody breaks out. Or maybe you are drafted well enough to be able to pull off a trade, you know, later in the season. Um, and I think that's a pretty viable strategy as well. Um, I think the one strategy that is probably my least favorite is three running backs in the first three rounds. Uh, you know, you do see some of that people, it makes sense, like intuitively, running back is scarce. Let me get my running back. Yeah, from me. I see that from you. And it just, I just don't like it because running backs get injured. So you don't want to be flexing. You don't want to be like using your third pick on a running back that you're going to wind up flexing that probably will put up similar numbers to a wide receiver you could have gotten in like the fifth or the sixth round as your flex. And then when inevitably, you know, probably one and a half out of your three running backs will get hurt. Um, and if two, if it winds up being two of them that get hurt, your season's tanked because you just don't have the wide receivers to compete. And then if only one of them gets hurt, well, then you're, you know, plugging in a much worse guy in your flex later on, like a sixth round wide receiver or worse. Um, so I, I think taking two running backs early, great. One running back early, great. Waiting on running back entirely, okay. But I, just, I wouldn't go running back, running back, running back. Because then you're also kind of starting to leak into the dead zone with that third pick. Yeah. I, I, the reason normally, like in my mock drafts as of late, I've been leaning towards three running backs early. The reason why is one guy in particular is falling to the third round that I cannot understand why. But we'll get more into that in a minute. But typically, you should be looking to either get a couple of good running backs really, really early or grabbing a hero RB or foregoing the position entirely to fill out all your other ones. Uh, getting back into the rankings, our next five, Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette, Javante Williams, James Conner, and David Montgomery. James Conner and David Montgomery are just good. Like, they're not – they don't have this top five potential – like maybe Joe Mixon has, but they're going to be serviceable guys that you can get in the third rounds that can really help you throughout the year. You know they're going to get you like 10 to 12 points at least. James Conner in particular was really, really good last year. He got 16 touchdowns. He, he led the league in rushing touchdowns. I don't think that's sustainable, especially given his injury history. But he is a guy in a high-octane offense that I think can do you well. Javante Williams, I – Brandon, Javante Williams has been going at the end of the first round and the beginning of the second round. He, he saw a true 50-50 split last year, Melvin Gordon and Javante. Actually, Melvin Gordon led the backfield. And I'm presuming he may still lead the backfield because the Broncos re-signed him. 
after they re-signed Russell Wilson. So for me, I don't understand Javante's draft position. I understand the talent. And I if Melvin Gordon was gone, Javante would be my top 10. But I don't understand, given his circumstance, justifying using that type of pick where you can get a guy like Aaron Jones instead. Yeah, you're definitely, you know, steering into some uncertainty. I think, you know, I, I went, the way I saw it, the Broncos kind of re-signed Melvin Gordon reluctantly. Like, it wasn't like the season ended. All right, let's get Melvin Gordon back in here. We love having the duo of Williams and Gordon. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Melvin Gordon was out in free agency. Uh, a bunch of other running backs signed their contracts. Nobody took Melvin Gordon. He went to visit the Ravens. That didn't work out. And then in the end, Melvin Gordon was like, okay, I'll come back to Denver. You know, there's no running back. There's no market for running backs my age. Um, so he's coming back. He's a talented guy. But I think Javante Williams is going to get the first crack. I think last year was probably like 55% Melvin Gordon, 45% Javante Williams. And this year I'm, right. be- I'm betting it's 65% Javante Williams, 35% Melvin Gordon. And I think in that split, you're thinking, okay, well, you know, that's good. But why is Javante Williams your number eight running back? Um, and I, A might be a little high for him. I might be scaling down to 10. But either way, he's going to be a top 10 guy for me. And it's because Denver should be scoring a ton of touchdowns with Russell Wilson. Javante Williams could easily be one of the few running backs that can get to 15 rushing touchdowns or 15 rushing plus receiving touchdowns. So interested in the touchdown upside for Javante Williams. I believe in the talent, like the system. Um, and if everything works out nicely, you could easily get to his, his ADP here. But I think, you know, we'll, we'll be hearing more throughout camp about what's the deal with Javante Williams. And if they do say, you know, big running back by committee, Melvin Gordon's looking really good. If we hear that, you know, it might be time to scale expectations. But I think it's fair to have uh, the default be something like a 65-35 split for Javante. Real quick question before we go for 16 through 20. Uh, would you rather have Javante at his current ADP or Melvin Gordon at their current ADP? Javante, again, towards the end of the first round, beginning of the second. Melvin Gordon, eighth to ninth round. Yeah, I pulled up there. We have Melvin Gordon on, on Fantasy Pros in PPR scoring, running back 35, 96 overall, and Javante Williams running back 9, 19th overall. And I, I don't really have that big of an issue drafting both um, at their ADPs. I think it's a totally viable strategy, uh, especially if, like, you know, Seattle and decides to take or to use to use Melvin Gordon for the goal line work. Um, but, you know, I, I, do, I do not find myself drafting Javante Williams too often, honestly, because I like Saquon and Aaron Jones more. Um, and Saquon is the running back 14 going 24th, Aaron Jones running back 13 going 21st. Uh, so I don't end up with Javante basically ever. Um, I don't either. But, you know, there, there's a pretty big ADP gap. I think they're, they're at this point, they're so separate that uh, you, can, you can take both if you really want. Yeah. For me, I don't really end up with Javante much either because of his ADP. If his ADP scales back, then I would heavily consider drafting him. Uh, yeah, I think in your, in your home leagues, um, and as those start drafting a little bit later, I expect – Javante Williams to fall, um, you know, more squarely into the middle or to the end of the second round, just because there's no way the the home drafters are going to be as familiar with his profile 
especially given you know what happened last year, where some people might have even been disappointed by his inconsistent usage. Yeah. Um, I guess real quick, yes or no. Are you concerned about Leonard Fournette's weight gain before we move into the uh, the rest of the top 20 game? Uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Like, if he offends Tom Brady because he's out of shape, you know, maybe that leads to Rashad White getting more of an opportunity than he would have been given. But I, I think, you know, Leonard Fournette can earn Brady's trust back with consistent on-field performances and losing the weight. And I expect both of those things to happen. You think Leonard likes uh, avocado ice cream? <laughs> I, I think he's skipping the avocado part of that for sure. I think I think he's gonna have to start liking <laughs> avocado ice cream if he's gonna if he's gonna earn Tom's trust back. Uh, all right, sixteen through twenty. Alvin Kamara at sixteen. The only reason we both have Alvin Kamara ranked like this is because of the uncertainty in his situation. If he yeah, ends up not being some... suspended. There's some offensive line regression there too. Um, Not too bad, but there is some. Uh, And, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe that offense opens up, but the offense is probably about average uh, at this point. So, yeah, I I think he's an interesting pick for sure. Definitely upside uh, being the running back 18 off the board. Is he our running back 18? Uh, No, he's our running back 16. He's our running back 16. Um, yeah. So then we have Josh Jacobs, Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell is interesting. Uh, San Francisco tends to cycle through running backs, but we both seem to think that he's going to be the guy this year. Yeah, there was some, a little bit of talk this week about, uh, TDP, their, their rookie running back looking really good. And Shanahan went on the podcast and said he's going to do a committee. So it might be time to move Mitchell down. I do feel like he's he's kind of in, in like an Antonio Gibson situation where he might be the most well-rounded player in a backfield, but that might wind up leaving him a little bit, uh, you know, being the odd man out because he isn't, you know, elite in any one area. But he did have some pretty impressive stats last year in terms of like big plays, um, breakaway runs. So I think he'll be fine. I think his floor is pretty high, but he doesn't do a lot for you in the passing game at all, uh, even though it kind of seems like the type that might. So uh, not too thrilled about drafting Elijah Mitchell this year. I think there's more upside elsewhere. And at our running back 19, this is the reason why I find myself going through running backs is because Ezekiel Elliott is going in the third round. Ezekiel Elliott's our running back 19. I'm going to have to justify my ranking here because Zeke is my RB9. Uh, let's play a game real quick here, though. Brennan, how old is Zeke? He's young. He's one of those guys. He's one of those guys that's surprisingly young. Was he 26? He is 26. I'm surprised you got that right. And yeah, how old is Tony guys. Pollard? Uh, what, 24? Tony Pollard's 25. Okay. Now, here's, a, here's another question. How many games... In his career, has Ezekiel Elliott missed? Not too many. He's pretty, he's pretty durable. Just, just a number. Just how many seasons? Six. He has played six. Uh, six. Uh, Ninety-seven four. total games out of the six seasons that he could have played. Uh, maybe he missed fourteen. He's missed nine. Yeah, no, he's durable. He's he durable. is definitely durable. 
Now, now here's the reason why Zeke is going in the third round for a lot of people. How many total touches has Zeke had? A lot. I have at least uh, 220 touches a year. Do you do you think the total number of touches Ezekiel Elliott has had is over or under 2,000? Over. Under. He has had 1,938 touches. That's a lot of touches. It's a lot of touches. Now, to me, he's missed nine games. He's had this many touches. I think if he would have broken down he would have done it by now already. I think he still has one or two good years in the tank left. He's going to be in an offense that was first in pace of play. Uh, clearly, Zeke, when he's on the field, gets all of the touches. And even when Zeke is off the field, Brandon, how many touches do you think Tony Pollard gets per game? Not many. I'll, maybe, I'll tell you. He's played nine. 46 games. He started oh. two. I don't care about his his old years. I only care about 2021. Yes. Now let's let's take a look at that. Tony Pollard stats for 2021. When Zeke was out, do you think Tony Pollard's total amount of touches increased by more than five? Uh, that would make sense to me. How many games did Zeke miss? Zeke missed, I believe, two. Oh, see, I, I don't think he missed any games, Jake. Not in I think he was out one or two games. Was he? No, I'm seeing he played every – he might have gotten hurt during the game, but he started every Did game. He? Well, yeah. when Zeke was – Zeke started every game, really. That one I'm – I'm a little surprised on that one, but – Yeah, so here's here's the, the Ezekiel Elliott worries. Uh, yards per carry in his six seasons, 5.1 his rookie season, 4.7, 4.5. His junior or his uh, yeah his junior and senior years in the NFL 4.0 in 2020 4.2 last year, and then his yards per reception 11.3 10.3 7.4 7.8 6.5 So the efficiency is you know way down from what it used to be, and Tony Pollard you know while Zeke had 4.2 yards per carry six yards per catch last year, Tony Pollard's at 5.5 yards per carry. 8.6 yards per catch. So That's the efficiencies out of this world. Then Zeke, you know, was allegedly playing injured last year. Maybe he it's was. a bit of a Baker Mayfield situation. But even before last year, you know, Zeke's efficiency was less than what Tony Pollard did a year ago. So at some point, Tony Pollard has to pass Zeke Elliott because he's more efficient. It's just silly for them to be giving all these touches to Zeke. So, Tony Pollard might be more efficient, but Tony Pollard is also, on average, he's only getting 10 touches a game. Like, we talked about just how many touches Zeke is getting. Tony's not getting a lot. And I understand the upside for Tony Pollard. I really do. I'm really excited to see him on the field. But Tony Pollard only saw 35 more touches between 2020 and 2021. And you had mentioned Zeke hadn't missed any games in 2021. He might have missed a game or two in 2020. Tony Pollard is not seeing an increase in touches when Zeke is out. But that was, I don't, that's two years ago. But the, it, I'm not really concerned about Zeke being out. You know, a lot of these running backs that are backups like Tony, 
will be great if their starters get hurt. But what I'm what I'm concerned about is at some point the Cowboys have to bench Zeke because he's worse than Tony Pollard. And it, I don't it, think they're every, gonna bench Zeke. Everybody said it was gonna happen last year and it didn't. But the gap between Zeke and Tony Pollard only grew. So you know, if it doesn't happen this year, then it'll happen next year. But if it does happen at all and you have Zeke, then you're you know left holding the bag, so to speak. I, I don't think they're gonna bench Zeke. I mean. First, Jerry Jones is very loyal to his guys. There's something there's something to be said about that, where he will continue to utilize Zeke. He gave him the giant contract. Second, Zeke is not terrible. You're you're we're talking as if Zeke is a complete bum here. He's not. He's consistently in the conversation for who's a top 10 running back in the league. I think at this uh, point he's he's pretty definitively outside of the top ten running backs in the he league. He might he might be he might be on the lower end, but I still think he's probably in that top ten. I I guess my other point is, what was Zeke's fantasy running back ranking? I want you to guess what was his ranking last year. I'm sure it was fine, but anybody who plays 17 games is going to you know score out pretty solid. He, he was a running back six. Sure. And but it was, before uh, his supposed injury, he had two weeks where he was a top two running back. I just, I can't justify dropping Zeke that low this year. And when next year, when he's above 2,000 career touches, he's getting the back half of his contract. He's 27. He's starting to hit the plateau in age. I can justify that. This year, though, I can't. Won't he cross 2,000 career touches in like week two? He he may well. He may well cross touches week two. Uh, no, he won't. He has 1,938. He'll probably cross. He'll probably cross the 2,000 threshold week six. So let's assume he gets like 300 more touches. Then next year, I would say, yeah, I'm super concerned. I'm not. I'm out on Zeke. But Zeke's ADP combined with the fact that he's not terrible, I can't justify taking him any lower than the second round. Yeah, no, I mean, if Zeke has 1,930 touches and 2,000 is this magical number for you, you know, he'll get 20 touches a game for three weeks and he's there. Um, But, you know, I don't really care about the number 2,000 it's clear that he's already started to regress as a running back. Um, so it, it's just a question of, you know, do you want to side with Dallas, who has you know, been pretty dumb to use him this much at this low efficiency, or do you want to draft somebody else who you know will be efficient and hopefully a smart team might actually realize an efficient player is uh, the one that you want to be using if you want your offense to be good. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Now, but, to be um, clear, I'm not saying I draft Zeke over guys like Aaron Jones. But if it's Zeke over a guy, like, the next couple guys we're going to talk about. Um, Cam Akers, Travis Etienne. I'd take Zeke 100 times out of 100 just because I know he's going to get the touches. And I think that that is something. Um, I mean, it will get the touches week one, maybe. But Travis Etienne will also get all the touches week one. Yeah, but Zeke won't get hurt. Travis Etienne almost most we, – we've never seen Travis Etienne. Because right, he was had, hurt for the whole year. 
Right. Just you know, but it's, it's in college he has a pretty pretty long track record of playing games. So I'm not uh, not expecting him to be hurt every year. Right. Now Travis Etienne is our running back twenty. Uh, he's in an interesting spot. I think Jacksonville could utilize him a lot, but there are reports saying that when James Robinson comes back, the backfield's his. He's already proven that he's a great back. Uh, I've talked and sang the praises of James Robinson on this show in the past. Um, I guess my only question for you, because I believe you're the one carrying this Travis Etienne ranking into our top 20, Brandon. Uh, are you concerned when James Robinson comes back that Travis Etienne may see, like, let's say Tony Pollard's level of touches, like 10 to 12 a game? Yeah, I think the only way that that happens is if Travis Etienne does very poorly um, in those first few weeks without James Robinson. And I don't really suspect that that will happen. I mean, Travis Etienne's a, you know, high, high draft capital running back who, you know, just watching him, you know, passes the eye test. He's clearly very, very talented. Um, so is so James it, Robinson. It, right, right. So is James Robinson. But, you know, you're not, you don't bench um, a, a running back who's been productive for your team who you used a high draft pick on for James Robinson if he's been good. If, you know, if Travis Etienne struggles week one and week two, but somebody still believes in him, maybe he's a good guy to trade because you think, all right, well, Travis Etienne's struggling. If James Robinson comes back, you know, he's going to lose most of the work. But if, if Travis Etienne's getting 90% of the carries and 90% of the targets without Robinson, and he's doing very well, which uh, I anticipate he will be doing, James Robinson comes back, you know, it'll still be Etienne's backfield at like a 60-40 sort of split um, at worst, in my opinion. So I guess to for the sake of time, let's breeze through these next groups and groups of 10. 21 through 30, we have Cam Akers, Breeze Hall, A.J. Dillon, Miles Sanders, Antonio Gibson, J.K. Dobbins, who we've already talked about at length, uh, Kareem Hunt, Rashad Penny, Devin Singletary, and sneaking into the top 30, Tony Pollard. Uh, of these guys, Brandon, who would you want to take the shot off? Um, so we're talking running backs, what, 21 to 30 here. Um, of yes. this group, I'm most interested in drafting uh, two guys, Brees Hall, A.J. Dillon. Um, Brees Hall could be the, uh, you know, getting the three-down workload that we like. I believe in the talent. Um, only one back, in my opinion, will be really competing with him for touches, but I think there'll be plenty of touches to go around between the two of them. And then A.J. Dillon. Uh, touchdown upside, you know, absurd. That defense will be benefiting A.J. Dillon more than Aaron Jones, most likely. He should be getting a lot of carries late at the end of the games. And we know that he's, you know, a perfect kind of running back for the fantasy playoffs when it gets cold outside. Uh, so very interested in him. A lot of other guys here have running back by committee concerns that I think are worse than the Brees Hall, A.J. Dillon concerns, or their ADPs are much higher than Brees Hall and A.J. Dillon. Yeah, I think Miles Sanders' ADP is around there, too. I think Miles could be very interesting if he decides to score touchdowns this year. Um, Miles Sanders is going six picks after A.J. Dillon. Yeah, similar ADP. Uh, Miles has a chance to be the starter in his backfield. Now, I'm super high on Kenneth Gamewell. Uh, I think he's going to take a lot of Miles' touches. 
and he looked really good, not only in college, but last year while he was playing with the Eagles. Uh, for me, the two guys we talked about earlier, Rashad Penny and Devin Singletary, uh, for me, I'd rather take the coin flip on these guys where I know uh, one or the other thing will happen. Either they will be the starter and get all the touches or they're not going to be starting at all, but they'll be the backup. And in the event the guy gets hurt, they're, they're then going to get all the touches. So for me, I'd rather take that coin flip after I take a couple higher tier running backs within the first couple rounds. Uh, it's what we did last year with Fournette and Jones. I'd say that worked out pretty well for me. Uh, and I'd be willing to do that again. I think if I'm trying to win, I'm going to go for something like that. Next, guys, uh, 31 through 40, we have Chase Edmonds, who we both believe are going to be – is going to be the starter in Miami. We have Corderell, Melvin Gordon, Kenneth Walker, Kenny Gamewell, Damian Harris. Then we also have guys like James Robinson, Ramondre Stevenson, Clyde, Jarek McKinnon. Um, I really like Damian Harris this year. I'm super pumped for the Bill Belichick offense because I know that just means he's going to run the ball, except for the three times a game where he wants to throw. Uh, I would say this. This group of running backs, you're starting to get into guys where you're going to take shots on, where they could be a starter, or they could break out, but we're not sure, except for maybe Damian Harris. Damian Harris, to me, is a guy where I think he can get a lot of value. Uh, he's going in like the seventh or the eighth round, too. So if you're running a strategy like Hero RB, he's a guy you're definitely going to want to target uh, Brandon, with that being said, anyone here kind of pique your interest? Yeah, I think this is a pretty interesting tier. I think it makes sense to get a guy or two from this group where you're using relatively low draft capital. I think there's, there's a good amount of upside all over. Like Chase Edmonds could get 60 catches and, you know, be a running back two. Um, Melvin Gordon could be a running back one with Javante Williams hurt. Damian Harris could be a running back one if he maintains – um, his hold on the backfield there. Um, so yeah, like a lot of, like I think those three guys, and maybe even Cordero Patterson, um, depending on how age affects his regression here. Um, but those four guys, Edmonds, Patterson, Gordon, Harris, I think they all have like very, very reasonable chances of top 24 finishes. Um, and you're taking them in the 30s and 40s. So I'm, I'm interested in those guys for sure. Right. Final group, Damian Pierce, Raheem Mostert, J.D. McKissick, James Cook, Daryl Henderson, Naheem Hines, Ronald Jones, Marlon Mack, Gus Edwards, Isaiah Spiller. There are two guys here that stand out to me. Damian Pierce of the Houston Texans and Gus Edwards of the Baltimore Ravens. Damian, to me, seems like a guy where if he beats out Marlon Mack, he's going to get all of the touches. So I'm watching the running back situation in Houston very closely because there could be value to be had because a lot of people will look at look at Damian Pierce they'll they'll see Houston Texas and then they'll they'll recoil they'll <laughs> they'll they'll shiver and then they'll just pass him in the draft and then 
for Gus Edwards, I've already made my thoughts on JK Clear. I'm very concerned. Gus Edwards, I can grab him in the 12th or the 13th round. Uh, JK, I would have to grab in the second or the third. I'd much rather take the shot on Gus Edwards. Yeah, those are some interesting guys. I mean, it appears, you know, Pierce will find out in camp what's the deal with him. So right now it's kind of like a late round lottery ticket that could either pay off or if it doesn't, you can drop him very easily. He didn't really lose anything. So I like the idea of drafting him, even if I think that Marlon Mack's the guy. Um, and then, you know, I, I like Raheem Mostert in this tier. I think he's very talented. We'll see how that situation evolves. There might not be enough usage for him, but you could, a late round bet on talent is never a bad idea. And then I like J.D. McKissick and James Cook. I think both guys could have 50 catches um, and be very, very useful depth. Um, you know, maybe they don't – I mean, you could argue that James Cook has upside, um, but even if he doesn't, you know, the floor is still somebody who can, you can use on bye weeks and it's is very useful for you getting you a solid 10 with five catches a game potentially. Uh, and I guess Naheem Hines falls in that group as well. So, yeah, a lot of interesting guys here too. Um, I definitely think it makes sense, and you could you could build a very good team drafting one guy from each of the tiers that we've mentioned today, uh, kind of diversifying your running back group. Do you think that's a good strategy, Jake? Yeah, I definitely think uh, you should take at least one guy from every one of these tiers. Uh, at least hold if you want to hold at least five running backs, you should grab at least one guy in every one of these tiers. Obviously, you want to grab five guys from like the first three tiers and then just be set, but that's not feasible. You're going to be drafting with other people. So if you grab at least one of these guys in each one of these groups that we've discussed, where maybe your first pick, you, you go number two overall, you get Christian McCaffrey, then you can grab like Aaron Jones or Saquon. You can grab Leonard Fournette. You can grab, Grab a guy like Gus Edwards, Devin Singletary, Rashad Penny. Then, then you're really starting to build out your drafts and your team in a way where you're minimizing the risk that you have inherently with this running back position while trying to maximize your upside as well. Right, 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 right. Um, and, you know, just spread, spreading it out, I do think it's a good idea. And then I guess in this the last group we ranked here, there are some interesting guys that are basically backups, um, but the, which backups in this group do you think have the highest upside if their starter gets hurt? Uh, Rashad White, Todd Davis Price, Madison, Herbert Booker. I I would say Rashad White. I, I don't know if we have Dante Foreman in that group as well. If it, if we do, it's him. Okay, sure, sure. He's included. Yeah, if, it, if, it, if Dante Foreman's in this group, it's Dante Foreman because Carolina's going to give him all the touches, similar to what they did with Chubba Hubbard last year when Christian was hurt. Uh, but I think Rashad White is a guy you could take a shot on just because Leonard Fournette's yeah. camp reports are concerning me. And Tom Brady does not like when people don't commit themselves to football. He didn't like when he didn't commit himself to football in the offseason. He <laughs> retired a month and then he came back. So he's really not going to like it if Leonard Fournette's not committed. So, but at the same time, Tom doesn't like rookies. But if it's between rookies and a guy who's completely non-committal, he's going to choose a rookie. So he's interesting to me. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Rashad White is going uh, higher and higher every single day. Uh, let's see. Right now, his ADP is running at 49 off the board, uh, right behind Mostert, right ahead of Gainwell. Uh, and we have him a little bit lower than that, I believe. Maybe we can choose that. Uh, uh, we both have him at 59. That's funny. Oh, he's already at 54. So, yeah, we're, we're right in the ballpark. I do like him. I think the upside is there. Um, for sure. Uh, high powered offense, lots of Tom Brady check downs. Uh, definitely could carve out a good role for him and stuff. Uh, very, very interesting late round guy. That being said, uh, that's kind of a wrap on the running backs for now. Uh, next episode, next, next week, whenever we record it, uh, we're going to be ranking our wide receivers and I'm going to get to talk about perhaps my favorite, one of my favorite players in the NFL right now. He has the most amazing name. Uh, and I think he has the most amazing upside out of anybody in fantasy football. Uh, so look forward to that. And with that being said, thanks again for tuning in. Yes. Thank you guys. And peace out.